Well, today we're going to continue our series called Good News for All. Over the last few weeks and months, we've began this study together as a church family of the Gospel of Luke. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you over these last few weeks. And today we're going to jump into Luke chapter 2. Now, today is all about the Christmas story. And you might be wondering, why are we talking about Christmas in July and it'll be August as well? Why are we looking at this story at this time of year? Well, I'm so glad that this story doesn't just have to be contained to a few weeks in December, but this story impacts our everyday lives. And I believe that without all the distractions of Christmas, all the fuss that comes with Christmas, I believe that this is a great opportunity for us to look at this incredible story, this incredible moment, once again, where the Savior of the world was born. And so today we're going to jump into Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 to 7 together. And the title of this message is, some things never change. This is what it says. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. You know, one of my favorite hobbies, one of the, my favorite things I love to do is read. I hated reading when I was younger, but over these last few years, and in particular since I was about 18 or so, I've, I've really enjoyed reading. And I love reading Christian books. I love reading the Bible every day. And I also love reading leadership books. And I was reading a book all about youth ministry recently and reading about this young generation coming up. And, and the author was talking about Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which are the young people of today. And the first chapter of this book was all about understanding this generation if we want to minister to them. And in this book, the author began to share some interesting traits, interesting characteristics about the young people today and what motivates them. And as I was reading this, I was I was really challenged. I've got to be honest with you. And so I, as I learned this new information, as I was reading these facts and these interesting things, I, I wanted to share them with whoever was in the house. So I went downstairs and my parents were there. So I decided to have a quick chat with them and just say, oh, did you know this about the young people today? Did you know this is what drives them today? And as I began sharing, my father says, it's amazing. He said, history is repeating itself. I said, what do you mean? He said, the young people in my day and the young people ever since, they've all had these similar characteristics and traits. Yes, there's been a few changes here or there, but he said, some things never change. He said that history is repeating itself here. He said, yes, the world might name it differently right now, but it's the same issues that young people have today, same problems deep down, same struggles, same things that drive them that want to bring change. And he said, it's history repeating itself. It's the same values and mission the young people have today as they did 30, 40 years ago. And you know, it's interesting that our world is always looking to change, isn't it? We're always looking to develop and improve on the previous generation. We want to right the wrongs of the, of the generations gone by. And, and you know, we're always trying to improve. If you think about your own life, I don't know about you, but I do this, you know, the start of every year, we have New Year's resolutions where we try to introduce change into our lives. 
We're always trying to look to build new habits and new rhythms into our daily schedules because we want to grow, we want to improve. And you know, it's true. Humanity has changed and developed in many ways, in particular when we think of medicine, when we think of travel, when we think of technology. We think that, that humanity has definitely changed. However, there are some things that never change. There are some things that never change. And we see, even right back nearly 2,000 years ago in Luke chapter 2, that there was a problem that humanity faced then, and they still face it today. It's an issue that we're still dealing with today. And we read it again, Luke chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 6 to 7. And it says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, what a day that must have been. It was the day when heaven and earth collided. The day where the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, God in the flesh, came and dwelt amongst us. Jesus was born. Now, last time we seen how John the Baptist had been born to his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and what a miracle that was. But this day was the miracle of all miracles. We've seen how Mary, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and she was called by God to be the earthly mother of the Son of God. What an immense honor and privilege. And now we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 2, and, and Mary, she's heavily pregnant. She could give birth at any moment. And so this, this news comes at the worst possible moment. The Roman Emperor Augustus, he had called for a census to be taken. We've recently had a census as a nation and he called for this census to be taken back then. And this meant that everyone would have to return to their ancestral towns to register. Now, it wasn't a bad thing if you lived where you were from. If you were born in a place and you lived there, then that wasn't an issue. However, Mary and Joseph weren't living in their ancestral hometown. Mary and Joseph weren't living there. The Bible says that Joseph, he was a descendant of King David. And so that meant that they would have to travel from Nazareth in Galilee all the way to Bethlehem in Judea to be registered. And this was far from ideal. I think we have to remember a few things. You know, in the nativity story, if you've seen it in, in churches and in school plays, you know, the, the kids only have to walk around the block when they or walk around a few chairs when they play in Mary and Joseph. But that wasn't the case. This was this was a tough moment for Mary and Joseph because Mary, she could go into labor at any moment. The journey was about 70 miles long as the crow flies. However, there was a, a conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans and Samaria stood between Galilee and Judea and, and they would have to skirt around the outside. They wouldn't have traveled through Samaria. They would have gone around the outskirts of Samaria just to get to Bethlehem, which would have added on an extra 10 miles. And ladies, if you've ever been pregnant, I can't imagine how hard one mile must be, let alone an extra 10 miles on top of 80 miles in total. We have to remember they didn't have cars, they didn't have planes, they didn't have taxis, Ubers, they didn't have anything like that, no trains to Bethlehem from Galilee. The only form of transportation was either their feet or they would have to ride on an animal. And we know that there was a donkey that they had. And Bible commentators say that they would have averaged around about 20 miles a day of walking. And that meant they would have been walking for about eight hours a day. 
And Bible commentators dispute this, whether this journey would have taken them four days or 10 days. It all depends how quickly they walked and, and how far they walked each day. But on top of that, the journey in which they were taken, they were, they were hills. They weren't nice motorways or walking paths like we have today. These were hills, bumpy, stony, hill country. There was dangerous paths. And traveling at those time in this area would have been very dangerous. There was wild animals and there were also thieves and bandits who could come and attack you at any moment. On top of all that, they had to contend with the, the heat in the day and the freezing cold temperatures at night. This was no mean feat. Yet Mary and Joseph did it. They had to, Joseph had to register and so they carried out the journey. Yes, Mary and Joseph were a younger couple, but it still wasn't easy. And the Bible says they finally arrive in Bethlehem and then talk again about worst time impossible. This is what it says, verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. After all of that stress, Mary goes into labor, packing up everything, getting ready for this journey. All of a sudden, Mary goes into labor. Can you imagine that? She's away from her family. She's not in her home. She's out of her hometown. She's, you know, she's giving birth in this, this other place, which she didn't, I'm sure, want to give birth to. And, and, you know, all of this was happening. No doubt she was worn out from, from the long journey as well. Talk about the worst timing possible. But, you know, I believe there's a reminder for us here, and that is God's timing is perfect. His timing's not our timing, but his timing is perfect. Why? because prophecy was about to be fulfilled. What seems like chance or coincidence was actually orchestrated by our God. Prophecy was about to be fulfilled. The Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, was going to be born in the city of David, just like the prophets have prophesied years before. And I want to say today, God knows what he is doing. His timing is perfect. He knows what he's doing in our lives. And sometimes we go through things and we think, Lord, this is the worst timing possible. But God knows what he is doing. Trust his timing. And so Mary goes into labor and, and things are going to get a little more stressful. On top of all that, they had no place to stay. The Bible says that there was no room anywhere, no lodgings available. You know, the only thing that Joseph had to do I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't have to pack the cases. The only thing he had to do was jump on booking.com and try and find a room somewhere or try and go and find an Airbnb. That's all he had to do was find a room for them. But the Bible says there was no room anywhere. The town was full because of this census. People were coming, crowds were coming. And so there was no lodgings anywhere. You know, that's more of an accurate word as well, lodgings, you know, in, in the nativity story, we always talk about the inns and the innkeeper, but it's actually more like a lodging. That word translated lodging there, it, it doesn't mean inn because there were no inns in, in Bethlehem, Bible commentators say, but it was rather a guest room or a private house or public shelter for travelers. That's what it would have been, but, but there was no lodging available for them. You know, the Bible says the only place that was available for them was this area that was reserved for some animals. And it was there in this manger, this stable, this farm, this barn, whatever it was, just this place where animals were in the muck and the mire. It was there that the saviour of the world was born. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born in a mansion. He wasn't born in a manor somewhere like a king should be, like royalty should be, that the king of kings should have been born in. 
but he wasn't even born in a house. He was more than likely born in a cave or outside in this pigsty in Bethlehem. How amazing is that? That Jesus, God himself, had the most humblest of beginnings. And we'll look at the main reason why that was in a few weeks' time, why Jesus was born in our next message. Sorry, we'll look at that next time in more detail. But I do believe that there's another reason why he wasn't born and why he was born in this literal animal's stable and that was because there was no room anywhere for him you know I'm sure if these these people knew who was knocking on their door that that the son of God was that Mary was carrying the son of God I'm sure they would have opened their doors wide and said yes come on in if they knew that but they didn't these people didn't know who it was and these people were too busy carrying on with their everyday lives looking to get a bit of money and they didn't want the fuss of welcoming in this young, these young travelers and that stress of, of having a child born in their home. There was no room available for them. And you know, 2,000 years later, some things never change. Things haven't changed. There's an age-old problem here. And that is, we still don't have room for God in our lives. Since the beginning of creation, we've been trying to push God out of our lives and do things our own way. And this is at the heart of sin. Adam and Eve said, God, we'll do it our way. We'll disobey you. We'll do things our way. But look at the mess that that has got our world in and that gets us in when we try to take control of our lives. It ends up in a mess. Sin leads to death and there'll always be destruction and harm when we try to take things out and when we leave God out of our lives. You know, so many of us, our lives are full but they're full of the wrong things. We fill our lives with, with things like work, with friends, with family, with social lives, with holidays, with possessions, with day trips, shopping, sports clubs, activity clubs for the kids. Our lives are so full, but they're full of the wrong things. And they're so full, that we end up pushing God out of our lives. And these things aren't bad things, but when they take the place of God in our lives, then they become bad things. You know, and even some people, some people do know God and have asked God into their lives. But, but there's another problem and that is they come up and compartmentalize God. And I've done this in my own life. I say, God, you can have my Sundays. You can have that hour on a Sunday. You can have a, an hour on a Wednesday night. But, but Lord, the rest of the week is mine. What I do is mine. Some people try to add God into their lives. And maybe you do that as well. But, you know, Jesus said this when some Pharisees were, were challenging him about the commandments. He said this in Matthew 22, verse 34 to 38. He said, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great man, greatest commandment. I've said this before, but if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. The King of Kings doesn't want a part of our lives. He wants all of our lives. And you know, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus could force himself into our lives. Of course he could. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created you and me. So he could force himself into our lives. He could have forced his way. Mary and Joseph could have forced their way into a room. But our God doesn't do that. Our God loves us and respects us. He's given us free will and he gives us the opportunity to invite him, invite him into our lives. 
Revelation 3.20 says this, look, these are the words of Jesus, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, there was a famous artist called Holman Hunton. He illustrated this verse with an incredible painting. In fact, he painted this painting three times and the most famous one of these paintings actually hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And this, this painting is called The Light of the World. And here's a picture of it. I'm sure you've seen it before. And, and this is what the verse is saying. Imagine that your life is like a house and Jesus is knocking at the door of your life. And he's saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I'd like to come into your life. I'd like to come into the house of your life and be a part of your life. I want to come in and eat with you. And, you know, eating together there is a sign of friendship, of fellowship. And effectively what Jesus is saying here, I want to be your friend. I want to be welcomed into your life. And that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a friend of Jesus. And Jesus is saying here, look, I'm standing at the door of your life, at the door of your heart. And, and I would love to come in and eat with you and be a friend of yours. You know, if you look at this painting, here's the picture again. But if you look at this painting, painting, you see that the door is overgrown with thorns and thistles. It's like a person's never opened the door to Jesus, yet Jesus is knocking. And now when Holman had painted this painting, people said, this is a great painting, Holman. It's a fantastic painting. But, but somebody came up to him one day and said, look, you've actually made a mistake. Sorry, Holman. I know you spent hours, but you've made a mistake. He said, do you realize you've made this mistake and he said well, well what do you mean what's what's the mistake he said well look at the door he said there's no handle on the door and Holman had said this he said no no it's, it's, it's not a mistake he said there is a handle but the handle is on the inside in other words Jesus isn't going to force himself into our lives he stands at the door and knocks the handle is on our side and the, the handle is there for you and me to decide whether we invite him in or not, to invite him into our whole lives, not just a part, invite him into our whole lives. That is the, the picture here. And as we come to a conclusion of this message today, I wonder, I wonder today, is there room in your life for Jesus? Or is history going to repeat itself? Are some things never going to change? And I wonder if you have invited Jesus into your life, is he the center of your life? Or are you pushing him out with the other cares, the worries, the pleasures, the things of this world? You know, Jesus promises. He says that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. How amazing is that? And Jesus, the son of God, says, 